celebrate, we rejoice, we say thank you for the lives that were represented in these waters of baptism, that have given their lives and their heart to you. Lord, I thank you that uh, they have new life, new life in Jesus Christ. And so we celebrate right alongside them. God, I, I pray for anybody here today who has not taken that step, that today they would seek that out, would desire that, to be able to profess Jesus as Lord and Savior as well. I pray for anybody who has not taken the step of saying yes to you, and that today might be the very first day, that they would have a brand new life, of understanding you came to this world to die for us. By faith, we can say yes and receive you as Lord and Savior. And so, Lord, now as we talk about how to bring others along in that process, and as your word is opened up and challenged uh, to see how each of us can pray for people, how each of us can witness and share the hope that is inside of us, I pray your Holy Spirit will be here speaking loudly and mightily to us. We love you and we thank you. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. 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 All right, you may be seated. <clears throat> Great to have you here today at First Baptist, and uh, whether this is your first time here or your thousandth time here, um, I pray that today will be a day where you meet the Lord and His instructions for you. If you were not here last week, we have this brochure available to you. Um, it is either at the usher's table or out in the Next Step Center, um, and I hope you'll take a hold of that and read through it and see where we are headed over the next few years. Um, this year, we are celebrating hope and sharing the hope of Jesus Christ with others that we interact with. Um, because as I've reminded you, First Baptist, every year, <clears throat> we are the carriers of the light and the darkness. We are the ambassadors for Christ in this world. We are the plan A, and even as it says out of Matthew 28, to go and share that, there is no plan B. We are the ones to go and take that message. And what I'm excited about is in this series... We're going to talk how God has shaped us, how he has made us so that we can do that in a very natural way. In other words, the title of the series is You Do You. Say that with me. You do you. You don't have to be someone else. You do not have to be a Billy Graham. He shares in his own way. You do not have to be a Mother Teresa. She shared in her own way. You be you. Now, if you want that said in a little bit more saintly way... St. Francis de Sales said it like this, said, be who you are and be that well. So if you want kind of more of the saintly verbiage, be who you are, be that well. If you want the Stockton slang, you do you, okay? That's what, that's what we're saying, okay? You do you. Now, how does that work? How can we be that and share the hope that we have? Watch how this works. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter 5. There's an interesting story in Mark chapter 5 that I have taught and I've shared. Many of you have read this as well. I'm not going to talk about all the details. I'm going to talk about, though, what Jesus shows at the end of this passage here. But Mark chapter 5 reads like this. Let's walk through it. Verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, that's Jesus and his disciples, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been found with sh uh, shackles and chains, 
But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. So night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Okay, so tough situation going on here. Major problem with the townspeople. They were a major, he was probably a bother to many of them as well. In fact, his, his, his cries would echo probably throughout the countryside, off the mountains. People would hear those cries and, and just, it was a difficult situation that people were in. Verse 6 says, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I abjure to you, do not torment me. Now, Jesus begins to talk to the man, but really is talking to the evil spirits that are inside of the man. Because it says in verse 8, it says this. For Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What's your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Goes on, verse 11, says this. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and so the people begged him, or the demons, the legions, uh, legion of demons begged him, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Verse 14 goes on and says, the herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country, and the people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now, isn't it interesting? When someone is healed, when someone has done something different, something that maybe doesn't make people feel real comfortable because they're not sure what Jesus is about here, that the people became afraid. And then it goes on in verse 16 and says this, And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Verse 18 continues on. And, and get this, the, the people are just uncomfortable. They're, they're like, uh, we're not sure we want you here. And, and you've probably heard me share a little bit about this story before, that the people may have been kind of camping out, maybe doing illegal things. They have pigs, and the Jews were not supposed to have pigs. It was not kosher for that to take place. So they're uncomfortable. And so Jesus says, okay. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Which, why wouldn't you want to be? Here's Jesus who just healed you. Why wouldn't you want to stay with him, maybe follow him, maybe be a disciple? It says he did not permit him but said this. And here's what I want to focus in on for just a bit. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. Now, on your outline or in your Bible, wherever it may be, circle the word friends. That word friends there is a Greek word oikos. And so let me come back to that, but let me finish up with verse 20, where it says this. It says, 
And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Okay, let me jump back to that word, um, friends, or oikos. That word in the Greek means an extended household. In fact, on the back of your outline, you can turn that outline over and you can fill in the blanks that I'm going to give to you in just a second here. It's an extended household. Of what? Well, let me share with you kind of what the fill-ins share and the teaching about what oikos stands for. Your oikos is, as I said in the outline, the most natural and common environment for evangelism to occur. So Susan, if you can go ahead and go to that slide there, the next one. It's the most natural and common environment for evangelism to occur. I guess we have a little technical difficulties going on upstairs, but you can follow on in your outline, and I'll walk you through those steps. Oh, there it is right now. The second thing is that it's a group of 8 to 15 people with whom you share life most closely. That is your greatest influence, your sphere of greatest influence. What does that mean? That means any relatives, maybe it's friends, maybe it's neighbors. Maybe it's your work associates. Maybe if you're in school, it's a classmate. But it is people who are already in your world, that you know them and they know you already. You're not just trying to befriend them to get to share the hope that you have. They're already there. So this group of 18, 15 people whom you share life most closely with already, your sphere of influence. Next point I put down was this. They are the people for whom God wants to prepare you to become an ideal instrument of His grace. God's preparing us to be able to share with them. And lastly, I wrote down, it's a microcosm of the world at large for whom God sent His Son that all who place their faith in Christ would be delivered from the bondage of sin and enjoy life to the fullest. So, our oikos, or the household, has always been the most natural arenas where our testimonies can be most clearly and powerfully shared through what we, how we live and how we profess that spoken. Now, some of this uh, materials, and I've, I've shared this with some of you before, you've heard this a couple years ago, is by Tom Mercer in his book, 8 to 15, The World is a Smaller Place Than You Think. And um, what he shares about in that book as well, is, uh, along with the Oikos principle, is a 95% statistical anomaly or an outlier. And let me describe what that is. An outlier is a statistical observation that is markedly different in value from others in the same sample size. Okay, that's a big word to say this. If medical research revealed that of all the people in remission for cancer, took the same type of treatment, that would cause the medical field to say something is going on there. 95% of the people who are being healed are being healed because of doing this. Or perhaps, you know, the Olympics start at the end of this week. Let's say you get really, really bored and you're watching curling, all right? Okay? Remember curling is? You know what that is? You know, a little sweeping thing going and the puck is going along the ice? And yeah, that, that's curling, Okay? Let's say that we heard that the ones who won the medals are the ones, or the, even all the ones who made the Olympics, drink Mountain Dew like an hour before their competition. 
95% of them who made it to the Olympics do this. You would say, okay, there's something unusual about that. Let's say, you know, Super Bowls today, as Nikki reminded us. The Super Bowl is, is happening, and let's say that if we looked at all the people who were competing in the Super Bowl, and all of a sudden we realize, and ESPN and all the other news outlets realize that 95% of the participants are from Stockton, California, you would, you would guess that ESPN and all the other major news outlets would be here interviewing people like, what is in the water in Stockton, California, Right? Right? That, that would be an outlier. That would be something that 95% is happening of all the sample uh, group. So let's look and see why that's taking place. The same thing happens in how you share your faith. Well, watch how this works. If 95% of all believers who came to Christ would do so by the same model, you would have to think that every Christian seminary, that every Christian magazine, or every church would say, what is it? How do we do that? How do people most effectively share their faith? And yet, when you look at this, you have to understand that 95% of us probably even in here, it may even be a little higher in here as it was in the first service, have already come to Christ with one specific way, in one specific way. It has been proven in all generations. It's been proven in every culture. It's been proven in all denominations for the past 200 or 2,000 years since Jesus left and gave us the commandment to go and share his name and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 95% have come to Christ. 95% of people have come to Christ primarily through the influence of someone in their oikos. Someone who was a friend of yours, someone who was a family member of yours, someone who was a work associate, maybe a neighbor, whatever it may have been. In fact, let me just prove that for just a second here. Um, I, I did this a couple years ago, and it rang true. I, I shared this at the 8 o'clock service. Again, it rang true. But let me say it like this. Raise your hand if you don't mind. Just raise your hand if you receive Christ because of a cold call kind of an evangelism kind of conversion. Meaning you were approached by a stranger in a supermarket or maybe you're witnessed to at a beach or on an airplane or a stranger maybe came and knocked on your door or someone came to your business and talked to you about Jesus and that was really what brought you to a place of faith. Okay, just, just raise your hand if that was you. And I know there are a few. Okay, okay, yep. Yep. Okay. Terrific. That is a great way for that to take place. It just doesn't happen very much. And we can see we had about three or four of them here across this congregation. Probably fits about into that 5% model. Probably even a little less than that. But let me ask now this. How many of you received Christ primarily from someone in your oikos relationship? That was maybe a mother or a father or a grandparent or a spouse or a relative. Maybe it was a work associate or a classmate or a good friend who shared their faith with you, and that's why you took that step of faith. Raise your hand if you fit into that category. There it is. There it is. That's that 95% that you scratch your head and you say, okay, let's not ignore the 5% of people who come to faith in a little different way because God can use that. In fact, you're going to hear a testimony in a few weeks, a very powerful testimony of how someone came to faith in that way. But for the rest of you here, you came because someone in your oikos, in your friendship circles, said, let me share my faith with you. Let me model that for you. Let me walk through what this means and the realities of this. Or you watched them for years and said, they are something special. I want what they have. 
That's how God, it just seems that God most often works in that way. And so we should pay attention to what that looks like. Okay, because that's how God is probably going to continue to bring 95% of the people who we interact with again to a place of faith. In fact, jump back three chapters, Mark chapter 2. And let me read to you just a bit about how Matthew was brought to faith. Now, Matthew was actually in that 5%. As we read in Matthew chapter uh, 13, it talks about how Jesus was going around, all of a sudden looks at Matthew in verse 14, and now his name is Levi here, Sonny Alphaeus, but it's really Matthew. Um, and he's sitting at the tax collector's booth, and Jesus comes and he says, follow me. So Susan, if we can put up in uh, Mark chapter 2, and let's jump over to verse 15, so the next one. And here's now what it says, because this is what I want you to kind of zone in on, okay? It says in verse 15, as now he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now notice what's taking place here. Matthew goes back to his household. That word house here is again the word oikos, meaning household or group of friends. Matthew was a tax collector. He's still hanging out with the tax collector. And he says, Jesus, why don't you come with me so we can hang out together? So they were. And now it goes on to say in verse 16 and 17, it says this. The scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to the disciples, why is he eating with the tax collectors and the sinners? And when Jesus overheard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous. I came to call the sinners. What's taking place here? is Matthew is beginning to share with his oikos. He's inviting Jesus to come and show them what he's experienced and leave it up to the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders to say, uh-uh, uh-uh, no way. And they pull the disciples aside and they try and spread some rumors. They try and whisper in their ears about saying, look at what he's doing. He shouldn't be doing this. He's hanging out with sinners. And can't you just see Matthew being like, oh, no, I messed this up now. Oh, my goodness, is this what I was supposed to do? And I would happen to guess that Jesus pulls Matthew aside later on after he says his statement about it's not the well, the, uh, the well who need a doctor, it's the sick. And I would guess he would say, Matthew, great job. Do not let them freak you out. Do not let them turn away, uh, turn you away from sharing your faith. You keep doing it the way God has changed your life. You keep doing it in the way that you feel best. And that's what Matthew begins to do. That's what Matthew begins to share and how he begins to share. That's the oikos principle that I would hope would be a part of our DNA at First Baptist and a part of our DNA in all of our lives. In fact, you have a card in your bulletin. It looks a little bit like this, if you'll take that out. Many of you I know should recognize that. Because a few years ago, I shared this principle with us. And many of us began to write some of those names down. In fact, I would guess that if you were invited here today to witness the baptism, 
you are someone who has been prayed for by our, by our people who are getting baptized today. Because they want to share with you the joy that they have found in Jesus Christ and what that means to them. And what I want to encourage us in is that as we begin to write these names down, as we begin to pray for them, that God will give opportunities to us where we can share our faith with them. You know, I, we have a neighbor at our house um, that I've shared with some of you, and I've shared my faith with him and invited him to come to church. Sometimes he, he has come, but not a lot of times. Um, but there was something that he did kind of interesting. He came over to my house about a month ago and said, hey, would you come to something that I'm going to be doing? I'm going to be sharing and making a presentation at a certain place. And my first inclination was, uh, I'm not so sure I'm interested in that. But after I thought through that, I thought, if I ever want him to be interested in the things that I'm interested in, shouldn't I be interested in the things that he's interested in? And so I didn't go to make him a project or a pet, you know, kind of, uh, I'll do this, so you'll do that type of thing. But I went to go and to show that I just have a genuine concern for him and a, and a, and a, and a longing to connect with him in greater ways. Because if I don't do that, why should he want to connect with my beliefs and my faith. So we had a great day. Now, if that doesn't work for you, I guess you can do what I did with our other neighbors on the other side. When we moved into our house, uh, we had a little puppy dog um, that jumped through the fence of our house and ran into the doggy door of our neighbor's house. We, we really hadn't met them yet. All of a sudden, my wife runs out there, and the dog now has in its mouth, as it comes out of their house, the husband's boxer shorts in his mouth. <laughs> like, okay, this is going to go one way or the other. I'm not sure about this. You know, like, how do you show back up at your neighbor's house? Like, hey, here's your husband's boxer shorts. Hey, you know, like... All was forgiven, though, because we were able to share with them. We were able to invite them over the course of a few weeks. And in fact, I was able to baptize my neighbor up in the baptism waters. So I guess all is forgiven in that, in that scenario, right? But you use those kind of situations. You use those kind of friendships. Those kind of conversations don't just happen with regular people, but they happen with people who are closest to you and in your oikos. Now, over the next few weeks, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of drill down on specific places in Scripture where we see people sharing in the way that God made them and created them. Susan, go ahead and go to the next slide there. Many of you have seen me share this or heard me share these uh, principles. So I'm just going to go over them very, very quickly. But Bill Hybel shares in his book, Becoming a Contagious Christian, about six different styles of evangelism that people in Scripture have. And so you have people like Peter who in Acts chapter 2 shares in front of thousands of people, and as he does, 3,000 people come to faith. Peter had a very bold, brash style. He had a very confrontational type of style. He would just lay it out there, no holds bar. This is what you need to do. Repent, receive the Lord. Now, that's a little different than Paul. Paul, remember what he did in Acts chapter 17 where he goes up into Athens and he finds these, these people who have these different gods that they have made and even this one sign that says to an unknown God. He comes along and he says, let me now explain to you who this unknown God is and it's Jesus that he explains to them. He's a very intellectual kind of guy. He wanted connecting with them on that level and God used Paul to also lay the foundations of our faith in the New Testament scriptures. 
Now, those two styles are a little different than the blind man. In John chapter 9, the blind man is healed by Jesus. So now he has sight. He gets called before the religious leaders. They say, you weren't that blind man. He says, yeah, I was. I was blind. Here's what he says. I was blind, but now I what? But now I see. That was his testimony. Those guys couldn't take that testimony away from them. Many of you here have a great testimony. When that comes up in conversation, or even intentionally you share that with others, you're doing you. You're doing it in the way that feels most comfortable to you. There's also a person in Scripture by the name of Dorcas. Dorcas is found in Acts chapter 9 where she has just a, a service heart. In fact, it says about her she is full of good works and acts of charity. And so in that way, she served people and was able to share her faith. Two more. The Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. This is also known as the woman at the well where Jesus tells her everything that she has done in her life. You know what the woman does? She goes back into the town and she says, guess what I have discovered? I've discovered the Messiah. He is here. He has shared everything about my life. And what she does is she brings her friends to Jesus. Now, that's a little different than what Matthew does. And we just talked about Matthew in Mark chapter 2, where Matthew develops relationships with his friends. Remember, sinners, tax collectors? And he didn't bring his friends to Jesus, but he brought Jesus to his friends. A little different. A little different. And so each of us has kind of a bent, a way that God has shaped us and made us to be ourselves, to be us, and and to do that. You do you. You don't need to do Peter. You don't need to do blind men. You don't need to do whatever it may be, Samaritan woman style. You do what fits most naturally you. And as you pray and as you look for opportunities, I'm convinced God will bring opportunities your way to share your faith with others in your oikos, and we will see life change happen. In fact, what I want to do, as I said, I'm going to use the next few weeks, and we're going to drill down specifically on these people. And um, uh, in Scripture, I also want to drill down and share examples of how people right here at Stockton First Baptist are making a difference in these ways. And so, Robin, if you will come on up here, Robin and her husband, Scott, um, have been uh, newer uh, members at our church here at First Baptist. And um, they kind of have an interesting start to their time here at First Baptist. Uh, Scott has been in our community group for about four years, uh, and he kept talking about his wife that we never saw. It's because she was in uh, Texas finishing up her job. Scott had gotten a job transfer, purchased a home. They knew they were going to have to kind of do a long-term marriage relationship. Um, But she would come and visit every now and then, and we actually got to have meals with her and talked with her, and uh, she came to our community group. Um, But um, Robin uh, just has an incredible heart for sharing her faith, um, how God has shaped her. And so I wanted you to get to share a little bit about how you first did that in your neighborhood um, as Scott and your realtor kind of planned a party for you um, that you stepped into. So share that with us. Right. So back in the late fall of 2013, my husband and I bought a house in Stockton, and I would go back and forth from Austin to Stockton to visit. And so I was planning one of my visits for June of 2014, and my husband said, well, all the neighbors want to meet you, and they're going to throw a garden party in our backyard. And I went, Oh, okay. And so my plane landed, and about two hours later, my backyard was full of about 
25 to 30 people and a lot of food. And so I got to meet all these amazing neighbors. And one of the women I just really gravitated toward, and she gravitated toward me, and we started having a conversation, actually pretty deep conversation. And I was looking for a way to talk to her about the Lord or just mention the Lord and test the waters a little bit. And so I don't remember exactly what I said, but I said something about the Lord. And she said, oh, I'm spiritual too. I said, wow, tell me a little bit about that. And so she proceeded to tell me about her Jewish roots and some of the other spiritual experiences she's had outside of that. And I was very intrigued, and I stopped for a second, and I said, you know there's no remission of sin, no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. She looks at me. I don't understand what you mean. I said, well, in the Old Testament, the Jews, the Hebrews, uh, would go to the temple and sacrifice an animal every year for the payment for their sins for that year. And then I took her from Genesis to Revelation, and then I showed her how Christ was actually that sacrificial lamb for all of us, for mm -hmm. our sins, forever. And so she was really intrigued by that, and she leaned over in the middle of all these people, and she said, do you think I could come to your house and visit you while you're here this week, and we could talk some more about that? And I said, great, yes, how about tomorrow? So... She comes over the next day, and we had some wonderful conversations for a couple hours in my living room. And it went so well that she said, do you mind if I come back again tomorrow? Is that okay? I said, yes, of course. So I got a phone call that night, and she said, now I know I'm coming tomorrow, but do you mind if I bring two of the neighbors? They're really interested in what you're talking about, too. And you said, no. Exactly. I said, no, just me and you. No. I said, yes, absolutely. Bring him over. So we sat in my living room and talked about the Lord for hours, actually. And I got an opportunity to share my testimony and just answer any questions, talk about scripture. It was an incredible time. So after that ended, I was getting ready to leave. And she goes, well, can I come over one more time before you leave? And I said, yes, I would love that. So we were building a friendship and she came over. And I felt led to share the gospel with her on how she could actually receive Christ. Mm -hmm. And I led her in a prayer, an invitation to accept the Lord. And she did. And it was really sweet. And I said to her after that, you know, the Lord has really honored all your years of searching for him. You actually found him. Mm. And you can be at peace now. And she just wept and said, did I actually? Uh, so that ended my week, and I went back to Austin, Texas, so excited about what I was seeing God do. So I, for the next several years, I would come out these visits. And so I decided the next trip, I was going to host a lunch and invite the neighbors back over, which I did. And I prepared a devotional little Bible study for them. And we did this every time I visited for the next couple of years. And I would meet one-on-one -on -one with my new friend and also the other neighbors we'd have a lunch. So about a year into this, I felt the Holy Spirit kind of prompting me to talk about baptism. So I shared with my friend about baptism and the scriptures, and uh, one of our first steps of obedience to Christ is to be baptized. And she said, I just don't think I want to do that. I'm, I, I don't know about that. I'm not ready for that. I said, okay, this is totally about you and your relationship with God. And so I said, why don't you just take these scriptures that I wrote down, and you talk to the Lord about that. Hmm. And so she did. So a lot of time passed. I think it was actually five or six months. I would keep coming and going. And then one day I got an email from her. It said, Robin, 
I want to be baptized. Mm -hmm. So I was so excited because I got to see the Lord work on her heart. And so she was baptized, and it was a really powerful time for her. So I kept coming back and forth and doing this one-on-one -on -one and luncheons. And then I felt a prompting to take her maybe deeper into the Word. And so I said on one of my visits, how would you like to do a Bible study over the phone? When I go back to Austin, we'll get together every week and I'll lead you in a Bible study. She said, oh, would you really do that? I would love that. Well, I was surprised she wanted to do that every week. And so we did that every Sunday for over a year. And I took her through all the Gospels, took her through the whole book of Psalms, took her through Acts and Romans. And it was actually really beautiful to share that time on the phone together. So we did that for over a year. And then fast forward to this past August in 2017, I got to move here permanently. And my husband and I really have a vision for our house being used for ministry in every way, shape, and form. Mm -hmm. And these women have, I have to say, have become the deepest joy and the deepest friendships that I've uh, experienced here in Stockton. Yeah, and all this came about, sure, we can say thank you. <clears throat> All this came about because that's just Robin's nature and Scott's nature to say, how can we share with, our, with the people who are closest to us? And she didn't even know what she was walking into. God was already developing an oikos for her that she would walk into, and she looked for that opening. Because, you know, when you're kind of talking with people, maybe you talk about going to church or, or the, the statement, I'm spiritual too, um, you soon discovered that it was maybe spiritual, but maybe in an Old Testament way or in a New Age way, um, rather than getting to the place of Jesus coming and being the Messiah that you were able to share with her. So that is so exciting. And then to see, you know, her taking those steps and you providing those for her and helping her not only be a born-again believer, but then also growing in her faith. Um, and so that's the encouragement I guess I would have for us as well, that we would see the people in our lives or the people that God is going to bring into our lives as people who need to know the hope, the hope that is found in Jesus. So Robin, thank you so much. Can you say thank you to Robin for sharing with us? <clears throat> That is my encouragement to you as we end and sing our one last song here before we go is as the title of the message series is, You Do You. All right? You don't do Pastor Brad. You don't do Robin. You do you, but do that well. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, thank you for the encouragement that we can glean of how we can share our faith in a mighty and a powerful way, a way that will make a difference in people's lives. God, a way that is very real, a way that um, allows our relationship to come forth, a way that isn't pressure, that isn't pushy, but God, it's a way that your Holy Spirit leads us in sharing the hope that we have. And so God, my prayers over the next number of weeks as we come to a place of seeing people for how you see them, as we See with your eyes as we hear with your ears. May we truly be led by your spirit. And just share in the hope that we have that is found in Jesus. 
Folks, if you're here today and you would say, I want to know more about this one Jesus, or maybe you're at the place of saying, yes, today I've seen it, I've heard about the life change and baptisms, I've heard enough, yes, I am ready to do that, then in your own heart, wherever you are, God will listen. You might just pray those words. Lord Jesus, come into my life today. I accept you as Lord and Savior. I ask for forgiveness of sins. I thank you that you went to the cross for my life. In faith, in faith, I believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son. God, I thank you that just that heartfelt prayer today allowed some people to step from death to life. And I pray that we will have many, many more opportunities to share that life-giving, powerful truth. Even as we've seen it demonstrated in the waters of baptism of people saying yes to you. Lord, may we be the conduits as you have called us to be of helping people take that step. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus now that we pray. Amen.